there we go. I think we're on. Thank you guys so much. Wonderful job. If you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. You'll remember about a month ago, we looked at Philippians chapter 4 on a Sunday morning. We're going to kind of just kind of continue on that a little bit here this evening. I was thinking recently about how things have changed since I was a kid. When I was a kid, there was not an Xbox One, there was not a PlayStation 4. We played outside. You guys remember that? You go outside and you, you play. When I was a kid, sports had seasons. There was a baseball season, a basketball season, a football season. You did not play baseball all year long, and you did not travel all over the state of Texas. You stayed with the league, and you played during the season, and then you went on to something else. I know it sounds crazy, but when I was a kid, and this is no exaggeration, we had four channels at my house. We had channel 3, channel 6, channel 12, and channel 51, albeit channel 51 was really blurry. Did not count as a real channel because you never knew if you were going to get it or not. We had the antenna on top of the house. Dad was cheap. We didn't have cable. And so uh, we had the antenna on top of the house. And uh, from time to time, he would go up and rotate it. But it never worked. It never fixed it. We still had four channels. I tried to explain that to my boys and they thought I was telling them a joke. They just, they didn't get it. They're like, no, there's no way. And I said, boys, we had, we had four channels. Well, Dad, what about Netflix? No, boys, we didn't have Netflix. What about Hulu? No, boys, we had four channels. So you couldn't, like, go and watch your favorite show, like, all day over and over? No. If you wanted to watch cartoons, y'all remember this? If you wanted to watch cartoons, when did you watch them? That's it. You could not sleep all day Saturday because you had to get up because that was the only time you could watch a cartoon. And so you got out of bed, you watched cartoons, and then they were over at like 10.30 and you were back outside. It was a different world. Uh, the thought of a, a cell phone, a computer that you carry around with you all day, it was just unthinkable. You could not imagine it. We grew up in a world, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram, there was no Snapchat. I don't know how we did it, but somehow we survived. I remember when I was a kid, mom got a, uh, a, a car phone. Remember those bag phones? Y'all have those? This big old bag that goes in the center console, and you plug it into the, uh, the cigarette lighter, and it powers it up. And, and so you were able to make a call from the car, but it was nothing like a cell phone. It was just big old block. And some had those pagers. That was a uh, radical big pager, and you would, your hip would get shaken out of uh, balance. You know, when the thing went off, and you'd look down, and you'd go to a, one of those phones, and you would, you would make a phone call. It was a, a different world that we lived in, a different place than it is today. There's so much more that we have at our fingertips. Realize that this evening, we could go sit in front of a computer and we could travel anywhere in the world that we want to travel. You can go to Google Maps, and you can get a satellite image, and you can zone in on my house. You can see my home. You can go anywhere on the planet, and you can zoom in on any spot that you want to see. I'm convinced you can go on YouTube, and you can learn anything that you want to learn. I learned to play the guitar on YouTube. I did not learn it well, but I learned it a little bit. 
You can learn anything you want. Everything the world has to offer is at our fingertips. There's so much to see. There's so much to do. There's so much to be exposed to. We live in the most entertained world that humanity has ever seen. But most people are bored out of their minds and they're frustrated. We seem to think that as we advance technologically, as we advance uh, in our intelligence, as we gain new heights, as we grow in different means, that we will reach this level of satisfaction. But the problem is, it seems to suggest the more we have, the less satisfied we actually are. And so I believe the topic of being content is a very important topic for us to study It's a very important topic for us to look at. I'm not talking about being happy. I'm not even talking about being joyful. I'm talking about being content. I'm talking about being satisfied in life. Paul says, I don't need anything. I have learned to be content. A Greek philosopher said this. He said, the secret of contentment is not to add to a man's possessions, but it is to take away from his desires. I like that because I think it's true. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. The Bible says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Lord, we come to you tonight again asking that you will walk us through this text. Lord, that you will apply it to our life, that you will challenge us, that you will strengthen us, and that you will allow us to leave this place with a heart that is content in you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. I believe that this is one of the profound statements in the book of Philippians. It's towards the end of this letter, and if we're not careful, we will overlook it. But he is saying so much right here. You'll notice in verse 11, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He has this revolutionary mindset that says, I have no needs in my life. All of my needs have been met in Jesus, and so all that I have left are now considered wants. Now, remember, who is it that is writing these words? It is Paul. We realize that. Do you know where he is writing these words from? He's writing these words from prison. So just imagine he is sitting in a dark, damp prison cell, and he's unsure if he's going to live or if he's going to die. And in that circumstance, he writes these words to this group of believers, and he urges them to be content. So in the face of all the prosperity gospel message that is in front of us today, I am convinced that Paul's life has gotten more difficult since he met the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you catch that? His life has not gotten easier with Jesus. It has gotten harder with Jesus. He is facing more struggles since he came into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Think about his background. This is a man who is from a good family. He is bold. He is aggressive. He is very intellectual. He's brilliant. He is passionate. And he develops this reputation as being the next big thing in the religious community. His future was set up for great heights. His future was set up for great success. And then he meets Jesus, and everything in his life changes. In fact, look over at 2 Corinthians. It's close. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, around verse 12. He gives us a testimony of his life. I just want to give you a summary of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look around verse 12, and you'll see his testimony. It says, greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Now look at verse 24 we're at. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. That's just bad luck, isn't it? To be shipwrecked three times, that's bad luck. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Verse 27, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. He's given this testimony of what he has been through. And you can see just on the onset of it, he's going through a lot of difficult circumstances in his life. And so imagine the man writing that we are to be content and picture in your mind that Paul is afflicted and he's having the very flesh ripped off of his back. Picture Paul struggling to keep his head above water as the ship is sinking to the bottom of the sea. Picture in your head the restless night's sleep as the thugs are throughout the city and they're looking for him to try to kill him. Picture in your, your heart as Paul is on the, the ground and he's hiding his head and he's covering his neck as the rocks and the stones are being cast towards him and there's blood that is dripping down his cheeks and he's just trying to hang on for his life. That is the man who said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, Paul is not perfect. The Bible says he has learned. He has learned how to be content. How, how does that happen? If Christ, this is the, the, the point of the sermon, go to sleep after this, okay? If Christ is all that we need, if Christ is central to our life, then we can be content regardless of our circumstance. 
If Christ is the central theme, if the relationship with Christ is the most vital, it is the most important, it is what we're striving for, then we can be content regardless of where we find ourselves in life. And that is the reality that we should strive for as believers. To strive for that, not just to say it in church, not just to think about it on Sundays, but in every day of our life to wake up and have this this central theme of Jesus. If I have Jesus, then I have all that I need in my life. If we could get to that point, it would revolutionize our spiritual journey. And so I believe that is what Paul is urging us to. And so he says this, I have learned to be content. And then he says in verse 14, I have learned the secret. Now if a guy like Paul has to learn to be content, we probably do also, don't we? The point is this. The point is that contentment does not come natural. We are not born into a life that is a life of contentment. Many people never can get enough. We are never satisfied. And we spend our entire life wanting more and wanting more and wanting more. And when we finally reach what we think will lead us to a life of satisfaction, we realize it's not enough and we must go for even more. If you don't believe that, you can borrow my children, take them through the toy aisle at Target, And just see what all they reach for. You will run out of money, I promise. That's just how it works. But it's not just our kids. Our teenagers are the same way, and they learn it from us, don't they? We, as a people, we are not content. As adults, maybe it's the next promotion at the job. Maybe it's a little bit more money on the paycheck. Maybe it's a nicer home that we want or a nicer vehicle. Maybe it is that next trip. And we're never satisfied just with the normal life. We always have to have that next thing we're looking towards. We've got to have this, and when that one's done, we've got to have this. And when that one's done, we've got to have this. And there's always something else that's grabbing us. We can never just be content and satisfied in the life that God has given us. You see, when we talk about contentment, it's bigger than just buying things. It is a heart condition that says, Lord, I am satisfied with where you have me in life. And you will not find peace in life unless you find contentment in life. So there are two ways that we learn to be content. That's what Paul says here. One is we learn it in the intellectual sense. The rules of contentment. He learned mentally. Hopefully we're talking about that right now. We're learning from the scripture on a mind basis that I should be content. Paul would have looked back to Habakkuk chapter 3. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruits on the vines, the produce of the olive fell, and the fields yield no food. He goes on and says, but yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He would have known from the Psalms, Psalm 63, your steadfast love is better than life. Psalm 4, 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and their wine. He would have known from Ecclesiastes that all the world has to offer is vanities of vanities. Paul can read through the text and he can learn intellectually that we must be a people who are content. 
And for us New Testament believers, there's more. 1 Timothy 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, listen, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Is that your life? If I have food and clothing, I will be content. But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. There's a warning. I would circle that in my Bible. I would look at that. That's an important set of verses. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And so there's a way that we learn to be content intellectually. But then in verse 14, look down in verse 14 and see what it says. He says, I have learned the secret. The secret. The word here implies that there is a mystery. There's a mystery that some are on the inside and they've learned it, but there are many others who have not learned it from the inside, but only from the outside. And I believe what he's saying is there comes a time when we learn it through experience. We learn through experience that I can be content, I can find my value, I can find my joy, I can find my satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what I'm going through in life. I wonder tonight, have you experienced that? I I know many of us have. You've experienced it. You've gone through trials. You've gone through tribulations. You've gone through difficulty in which the world said you should never be able to find the solitude again. But because you rely upon the Lord, you have found that. You rely upon it. You depend upon it. And so what Paul does is he finds himself in this situation with all this adversity, but he's the man who writes and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. He's the one who writes and he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know what he's saying? If I live good, if I die good, I'm okay either way. Why? Because I have Christ. Christ is central to my life. He goes on and he says, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know what the point is? Paul was not just a follower of Christ. Paul was content in Christ. In other words, he was not seeking after the gifts. He was seeking after the giver. Paul was serving, and he was not serving out of obligation He was not coming to a Sunday evening service because he had to come to a Sunday evening service. He was coming out of joy. He was coming out of love. He was coming because he wanted to go deeper, because he wanted to know more, because he wanted to grow. There is is a difference between following out of obligation and following because you find your life in the center of Christ. And it makes all the difference in our spiritual life. You see, contentment is a discipline. It is something that, that leads to self-denial. We know this. If we're going to be content, we will tell our, our flesh no. It is something that must be, be cultivated. It must be practiced. The, the, the dissatisfaction, this idolatrous heart that we have must be told no, no, no. It can only be filled with Jesus. 
Augustine said this, he says, restless is our heart until it comes to rest in thee. I believe that God set it up so that the accumulation of things will never satisfy because only he will satisfy. But there are so many in the world who have, have bought the hook and they have said, if I could have a little bit more stuff, I could be satisfied. If I could have a nicer home, I could be satisfied. If I could have this relationship, I could be satisfied. If I could have this circumstance, I could be satisfied. I think what led me to this text is just where we've been uh, here the last couple of days. Because when I read this, I always think about material possessions. And you probably do too. That's kind of the context. You know, to be content with what we have, not to always have to go out and keep up with the Joneses. I don't know who the Joneses are, but they have a lot of stuff, right? And so that's kind of the concept that we look at it. But I, I just got to the point this, this week, this yesterday really, that I was just, I was just frustrated with circumstances. Uh, what happened was we Boys, Brother Charles said a little bit about it. Boys were in baseball this, uh, this whole summer. And so we've been, we've been practicing like every evening of the week. I mean, it has just been uh, a big deal, but the boys love baseball. And so we've been, we've been going with it. Boys are, are good at it. They are, uh, you know, a big asset to their team. And so last Saturday, we saw the tournament schedule for the regional tournament. You go from district. If you do well, you go to regionals. If you do well, you go to state. If you lose, you're done. So every game is, is very important. And we saw the schedule, and the schedule had games on Sunday morning. Our team knew way in advance that we will not play. We will be uh, worshiping during that time. And so uh, when, when we saw that, there were many phone calls, many emails. We began to go to, uh, to Dixie. That, that's who organizes these tournaments, Dixie League Baseball. And so writing emails and um, uh, phone calls from the Hostel Baseball Association, trying to get this changed so there would not be games um, during this time. Thursday, I was leaving the church here. And I got a phone call from a guy. He's a pastor at a church in Gilmer. And uh, he began talking. I didn't know who he was, didn't know what he was talking about. But he said, hey, did you write an email to the Dixie Baseball League? I said, well, yes, sir, I did. He said, I'm so glad you did. See, I'm a pastor, and I coach the Gilmer baseball team. And I am uh, their pitcher, and I've got twin boys that, that play first and second base. I said, I've got twin boys that play first and pitcher. So we're going back and forth. And he said, well, here's what we're going to do. Your email got the guy going, and I'm going to a credentials meeting tomorrow, and we're going to fight this and try to get these games moved. So I'm like, yes, that sounds good. I'm excited about it. And so they go, and he emails me during the meeting, and he said, it was a tough fight. Every coach, there's nine teams, every coach had to agree to rearrange the schedule. But every coach agreed to it, and there will be no games there on, on Sunday morning. And I was just, praise God, Lord, that is a victory. I'm excited. That's the way this ought to be going, standing up, paid off. You know, you ever, you ever make a stance, and then it's like the Lord blesses it, and you just, I mean, it's like, oh, that's awesome. And I know you're thinking, it's just a silly baseball game. But for us, it's a big deal, okay? And so we go, yesterday we're in Athens. We play an early game. We get beat. <laughs> we get beat pretty bad. And then we're supposed to have a 7 o'clock game, 645 the clouds roll in, and the rain starts pouring. We go, we sit in the car. It, it's supposed to just go by real quick, but it pours, it pours. We sit there for probably an hour or so. It pours and pours and pours. 
We finally walk out. It stops raining. We walk out, seeing what they're going to do. And finally we hear there's going to be no more games tonight. Okay, when are you going to reschedule? Next game will be 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. We've got to get back on schedule. We leave home, and we're trying to explain it to the boys. They understand. They, they knew all along our stance. But honestly, I felt like God kind of let us down. You ever felt like that? I felt like we had made this stand, and we were going to try to do what's right. And God gave us this victory. Me and this other pastor, we were going back and forth about it. Yes, we're so excited. Praise God for this. And then the, the rains came, and it all got pushed back on Sunday again. And I felt like, God, we're trying to do what's right. Why could you not just hold the rain off? One more hour and, and it would have been okay. Games would have been done. We could be back on schedule. Everything would have been, God, why'd you do this? Why'd you not bless our efforts? You ever, and I know this is simple, but you ever had that time where it's like you're trying to do what's right and you don't understand why God worked in a way that he worked. And so we're coming home and it's just like, I'm just down. Brittany's down. The boys are down. You know, we're having that pity party. If you ever have one of those pity parties. And, and, and so then I started thinking about this text again. And I'm thinking, be content, not just in what you buy, but be content, he says, in all circumstances. And, and to me, what, what he's saying is this, even when you don't get it, even when you don't understand it, even when you look at your life and you say, God, this doesn't make any sense, or maybe you're just selfish and say, God, I don't like this, because maybe that's more what it is. Maybe it's just a situation you say, God, if I were you, I would have done it a different way. You just be content in whatever circumstance you find yourself in and let me be in charge. That's what God told me. Quit, quit taking my job. I've got it. You did your little thing, and you tried to work it out in your power, but I'm God. You're not. Let me take care of it, and you just be content. And so maybe this is all for me, and you're just here. I'm sorry. Wherever you find yourself in life, whatever your struggle is, whatever it is that you shake your head at and you say, God, I just don't get it. Why is my loved one sick? Why did one I care about have to pass away so soon? Why, why all these whys, God, I don't get it. I'm trying to honor you and your blessing uh, in the Psalms you'll see so many times. Why are you blessing the evil but I'm struggling? That is a biblical question. And so maybe you've had that question. God, why is life tough for me in this time, whatever it is? Be content in all circumstances because God is in control. That's what he's saying. Find your satisfaction in God. If the Lord is that central element, he's that central thing, then our circumstances become less and less and less, and he becomes more and more and more. And no matter where you find yourself, you can say, I am content because I have Jesus. I didn't get to play in the baseball game, but I have Jesus. I didn't get to do this or that or the other, fill in the blank, but I have Jesus. So everything's okay in my life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for how you, you spoke to me and you challenged me through it, Lord. And I pray that you have spoken to others as well. Lord, I pray that, God, that we will put you above everything else in our life, above everything else that is important to us, above everything else that drives us. Lord, I pray that money will not compete with you. I pray that possessions will not compete with you. I pray that hobbies will not compete with you. I pray that we will be totally sold out and totally surrendered to you, 
regardless of anything else. And Lord, I pray that you'll be honored by that. So Lord, let us to be a people who are content and a people who are satisfied. Let us to be a people who do not have to keep up with the neighbors. Lord, but we can just follow you. We don't have to always have the next big trip or the next big thing or the next whatever it is, God, but we can be content in the simple things of life. So, Lord, we thank you for your blessings. Thank you, God, that you are so good to us. Lord, it's in your name we ask these things. Amen.